Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thank you for joining us today. Today we have two guests. My wife Paula is joining and her and my good friend Lisa Sampson. Paula and Lisa met because they have in common being writers. You can put their names into the Amazon search bar to get more information about each of their writings. Lisa was sharing with Paula and me about her experience regarding doubting God. Following the last episode on doubt, this makes for a good follow-up. Lisa's experience was very different than my own. Paula and Lisa, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's so much fun to get to be with the people I love and talk about the things that we love together. Yes. Well, I really appreciate it, and I think our audience will as well. So, Lisa, what are your very first memories of believing in God? My very first memory of believing in God was is actually my early childhood salvation experience. And I remember my mom bringing me up to the pillows on her bed to kneel, and she said that um, Jesus would wash away my sins. And I think belief she used those terms and that if I wanted Jesus to come into my heart and wash away my sins, all I had to do was ask him. And since she led me through this prayer, and I literally remember feeling a feeling, even though I was three years old. And so I grew up in church many times a week, and that was our life, was our life of faith in God. It wasn't long into my childhood, I would say probably... I was around seven or eight years old where I just began to doubt the existence of God. And nobody told me. And I think I heard at church about atheism and we were a very combative lot. So they were fighting against somebody all the time. And, and so that would have come up, I suppose. And I just started to become plagued with doubts early on in my childhood, I would say, seven or eight years old. Yeah. How would you describe those doubts? Were they doubts about the God that you had been taught? Or were they doubts about any God at all? Or Any God at all. Okay. Absolutely any God at all. And the thing that kept me from exploring those thoughts, even in a healthy manner, was that I was taught that if I did not believe in God, that I was in for a eternity of intense pain. And so I was scared to even delve into them at all, but I still felt them. And I remember laying in bed at night, trying to tell myself all these reasons why there must be a God. And I felt very alone in that because I wasn't I didn't feel comfortable voicing that out loud. I finally did to my mother, and she was very understanding about it. But I remember thinking the fact that you have doubts is, you know, you don't, you want there to be a God is probably pretty proof that you're okay with this God, if there is one. You know, so like it was these kinds of circular questions that, because they were so not allowed, I wonder, even by myself. When you were growing up, did these kind of come and go, or was there always kind of a lingering doubt? How old were you when it became serious for you? You know, I was always able to talk myself out of it. And then I was married, and it just got to be too much. It became something that rolled around in my mind. And I was, I think it wasn't so much the doubt that felt so horrible. 
It was that all I had, to, I had to tell myself why, why this isn't true over and over. Like I was always arguing with my doubt. And so finally, I just had enough and I realized you have to go one way or the other because you're talking about this in your mind and focusing and ruminating on this over and over and over and over. There's nothing new going on here. There's a sense of integrity at stake here, isn't there? I mean, you want to know what the truth is. Absolutely. And why is it that the truth about God is important to know? Why would that be an ongoing conversation that you have with yourself? For me, it was because <laughs> if this God was real, then it was the God that I had been taught about, who was a God of grace in words only. Mm. So you didn't really like the God you thought you were supposed to like? Not really. Not really. And that's why I latched on to Jesus. And I remember I would voice this out loud to people. I'm just like, I love Jesus, but God the Father, not so much. <laughs> well, you know, that's interesting because we grew up in very different traditions, Christian traditions. I've already mentioned that on an earlier episode of Grace Intersect, that I had the same experience. Jesus was the good cop and God was the bad cop. Yes! Totally good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, that's who God was. And yet I still, I had had doubts about those teachings from the time of a child because I would have to also argue how God could treat his creation the way I was taught and still be loving. So how did these doubts, as you got older, you're married now, I don't know if you have children at this point. But... I, yeah, yeah, a two-year-old. Okay. Yeah. So... What was the actual impact of your wrestling with these doubts? What kind of impact did it have on you and your relationships or any of that? I truly believed my very existence from body down to soul meant truly nothing. Hmm. That God would so callously throw me away because in this life, I wasn't either born in the right place to hear, or I had not ever heard it spoken in truth. And I felt that my existence was nothing at the end of the day, if it could be so easily thrown away. Does that lead to depression, or does it lead to anxiety? Or It did. I was, I was a depressed teen. Hmm. And I think it was an existential depression. You know, yeah. I also, my family deals with that as well. But I remember it coming into play when I was about 13 years old. So, yeah, then those were the places where my mind would go. So I would say that if I had fallen in and that's where my mind would go, would be at that time, that it just, I'm just putting two and two together. It wasn't mm. like anybody even went to the psychiatrist for depression in, in children at that, you know, back in the 70s. But yes, it did have quite effect on me. And I'll tell you, I did this meditation one time where there, it was just God directed about what is your mother wound? Not from your mother, but the birth wound, the first wounding that you had as a human being. I realized when I was born, I came in, I had grabbed my ear, and when they got me, pulled me through the birth canal, I actually ripped my ear halfway off my head during birth. So from birth, the world was unsafe. Wow. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely unsafe. 
And then I was born into a family with this God who was terrifically unsafe. And I just walked around the planet thinking, well, maybe if this whole thing isn't true, there is safety somehow. Because right now, the the most unsafe being I know is God. When you live in that level of doubt and the swirl of that, does it feel like there's never going to be any end to it? You will never, ever really know the truth? Yes, because even in the tradition or group of Christians that I was with, it was never about truth. In fact, they sort of said, oh yeah, people who seek truth, they just need God. They didn't equate that it's, and I know it's a philosophical thing. The Stoics, all those people, they were seeking truth. But that was like totally, truth was totally frowned upon to seek mm-hmm. truth. Like they didn't understand that seeking truth is seeking God. There was God's truth. And that was a very limited thing. There wasn't an all truth is God's truth mm-hmm. mentality, which is what I came to understand. Of course, all truth is God. What else is it going to be? And so I wasn't even encouraged to seek truth for its own sake, Mm. as if that was going to be harmful to this limited, which I'll tell you what, if someone encourages not to seek truth, then it's a control mechanism. And that God, such a handy tool to control people to behave the way we want them to. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a whole human history of that manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, you're wrestling with all of this swirling in your head about God and you're obviously not comfortable living that way, what happens? Well, I would say that we all come to a point with various things in our life where we cannot do it one more time. And I couldn't go through the cycle one more time where I had to convince myself and go through all the arguments and da-da-da-da-da, you know, and And I went down the apologetics road for a while, but it didn't heal my heart at all. That was somebody else's conclusions that they came to. They weren't mine because they weren't my questions. It was, I think my thing about the existence of God was really that I didn't trust God at all. So apologetics was like, okay, okay, well, then he exists, but he's still a jerk to 90% of the people in the world, right? Like, I don't even know what to say, right? So that didn't help either. That just was another cycle. So finally, I, I've i gone through a lot of spiritual changes, and I keep going back and back to when it was that the, that road was set forth away from that kind of what was, for me, extremely toxic view of God. And it's funny because I started with a prayer I prayed when I was 40. And then I was like, well, no, actually, I prayed this prayer to help me not to be afraid. If you ever pray that prayer, just know that all your fears are going to be brought before you for you to deal with. It's a hard prayer to pray. It's not like suddenly God gives you peace. It's like, I got to show you what you're afraid of. So I prayed that prayer. And before that, it was a doctrinal prayer of something that people, it's very, divide. the, the, the whole um, rapture knot thing, there was a letting go of something there that I needed to let go of. And I thought, well, that was when I originally started this road, but it keeps getting back earlier and earlier. And I think that the day I took a stand and said, I'm not doing this anymore is when my life changed. And when God began to show me who God really is. I was living in Fairfax, Virginia at the time. 
And my husband was, I worked on political campaigns and it was coming up towards the end. And so uh, it was in November and, you know, he was hardly ever home because that was part of what he did and that was fine. And I just prayed and I said, God, I can't do this anymore. You got to do something here. You got to show me if you really exist. Like it's such a cliche prayer, right? But so many of us do end up getting there. And I prayed this prayer and felt Christ enter into my life at three years old. Mm. So this wasn't the big turnaround experience of I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore, right? This was a person who tried tried to toe the line her entire life. But you were in cognitive dissonance all the time. I was in cognitive dissonance all the time. So I was just done. I mean, I really, at that point, if nothing happened, I don't know how much longer if I would have gone in another cycle and just kept because my fear kept me locked in. And I think a lot of people are in that fear that they were handed to. If you dare question, if you... So I just prayed and I I was like, "I, I can't, I can't, I'm done. About three days to a week later, I don't know what the, the exact timing was, but it was, it was soon enough to know. I looked out my back window of my apartment. Now, we were in Northern Virginia, a real tired out area of like big boys and tire shops. (laughs) And we were in a little apartment community, kind of tucked off the main road, but right, you know, not that far. We had these backsliders and I'm sitting at the PC and this was in 1991 or 92. And I was listening to the modem screech at me and I turned around from my chair and a peacock, a male peacock, full plumage, was walking right in front of me, outside, through the window. There he was. I looked at that thing. My first thought wasn't, what's he doing in Fairfax, Virginia, you know, behind the tire shop? (laughs) My first thought was, there is absolutely... No need for that bird to exist. We don't need peacocks on this planet. Like maybe there's some, you know, like we can watch some show and figure out why the whole ecosystem of the planet relies on peacocks. I mean, we may find that out eventually, but as far as I knew. (laughs) And I couldn't believe my eyes. And then I looked at the little crown on top of its head. And I was like, there's really no need for that. That was totally put on as a design to balance out that tail of the front. I said, this is a beautifully designed piece of living art. And I can see the delight and a intention of beauty and beauty alone through this thing. And to me, there is only one explanation for that. And furthermore, that it is right here in Fairfax, walking by my window after I prayed that prayer, tells me that whoever designed that bird loves me and knows me and no longer wants me to live like this. And that was it. It was done. No doubt. No doubt. It was from not hellfire damnation. No. But more from just an understanding of the incredible design of beauty. Yes, and that we are here to witness such. We, as humans, those who reside here 
with the image of God within them to a person. We witness this. It's almost like God gets to show off for somebody a little bit. And completely comes out of the blue to do it. And completely comes out of the blue. It's like, oh, you, you, you want... You want me to talk to you about, and God also knew that my particular path of transcendence, where I feel God the most, it will bring the tears on, it will get me locked in, is beauty. You know, I'll hear beautiful music and I'll just start crying, or I see the landscape in front of me, and it's, it is my most meaningful when God expresses his beauty in any way, shape, or form is where I latch on to God the most easily. So the fact that it was a peacock is just like, of course. You know, because we're friends, I've heard this story multiple times. But as you were talking, I just teared up again. And that's why. It's because of how personal God was. He knew he created you to be an artist. And so what better way to show himself to you than to show you his artistry? I mean, it just, it's yeah. just so beautiful how personal and tender and beautifully designed that whole situation was this darkness in my mind. And I don't know if this is really what you're seeing out of your window, but you know, you think of tire shops, you think of concrete. So I'm thinking, you know, here's this concrete jungle kind of world you're living in and grays and hard. And here's this soft bird that's full of color and dignity and... Yes. And the crown on the heads, I am king of kings and lord of lords. <laughs> and you can see it right here in this peacock. He's got a crown yes. on. And do you know that peacocks <laughs> are an ancient symbol for Christ? Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Actually, I did. I'm lying because you told me another time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but I didn't know until you told me. <laughs> well, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that was, even that was a symbol of the one that I could stomach. <laughs> right? It's amazing that, I mean, who would have expected to ever see a peacock when looking out their window? And Absolutely. If, and to see, not only to see a peacock, but to have made the connection to the beauty of it. And then to understand that God is an author of beauty. He made you to, to appreciate it. Yes. He communicated to you that way. Yeah. And it was, it was so concrete. I didn't have to guess at all. Paula, you mentioned yesterday when we were talking about all of this, how the last episode was more of an intellectual nature. And what you liked when you heard Lisa talking about this was that it was the contrast to that was God demonstrating who he was, that he existed through beauty, not just through processing of the intellect. Right. So I know and love you and you have to process it through your mind first, right? And I know and love Lisa, and if it doesn't touch her emotion, forget it. It's a more full picture of who God is to see how he relates to each of us in the way we need to relate to him. Because he created us all differently. We're all just this tiny microcosm of who he is. Yeah. And he connects with us in that place. So God's grace to each of us is expressed differently in some ways, and yet overall the same because it's him. And we get to experience his grace. What kind of is adding to this for me is you actually experienced your confirmation of God's existence through a relationship experience. Because you talked, if you exist, then somehow you had no clue what it would be like, but you knew it would know it when you saw it. And he communicated to you in a relational way. Yeah. Here you are, Lisa. What do you think? 
What was your response? I, my first response was to grab my two and a half year old or two year old and bring her to the window mm-hmm. <laughs> to oh, see him. Wonderful. Yeah. So Ty loves that she was there for that story because I guess we share the good news, right? My very first thing was to share it with somebody else. That's Jesus, right? I, it was so final and it was so of the material realm, right? So it wasn't angels singing and I wasn't getting messages. It was locked here into this realm that it, it was physical and, and, and that bird had to get from this point A to point B to be where I was. So it felt so grounded that I just went forward from there. And nothing, I never, I went forward into the same life without the torment. You found freedom. Yeah. Yes. It was absolute freedom to to know that I know this. And then because God is gracious, he has brought more and more confirmation of that mm. into my life over and over by various means. That I'm here because of this and I'm here because of this and I'm here because of this. But I had to say he's here yeah. before all those other things. So it was like... The peacock, like, burst through the dam. And then God was free to just keep giving me wave after wave of his presence and knowing that indeed, yes, that presence is real. It exists. And here's the way it is. So it moved from existence to knowledge of who God is and how God wishes to relate to me as God created me to relate to him. Mm. Because if we were all the same, then God is just repeating relationship over and over and over in the same way. But we are created to give God a relationship. And it's going to be different because God, just everything is a one-off with God. We're each so individual and unique, and we relate to each of us differently. Like the three of us, we all relate to each other differently. Millions and billions of times that happens throughout history. God's individually looking at each of us with that same love, same grace, and desire for a relationship. You know, when I first started grabbing on to love like this, and this was maybe 15 years ago, I had read this book and the author said something about that old song, Longer Than There Have Been, that song. Yeah. And the words, if you really look at it, it's like, Throughout this nation, anyone who's hearing this song, maybe the world, I don't know how popular it was, really, who could love you before time existed? So even though it wasn't a Christian song, the message of an eternal love was so central to that song. And I remember praying after I read that, like, man, I God, I just want to feel loved like that. I want to hear you sing to me. And I woke up one night and the Spirit was singing that song to me. I'm not saying I heard it outside of my head, but within myself... That song was just resonating over and over. And and God's Spirit was singing this song to me. And instead of just truly embracing and being grateful, what did I do? I said, yeah, but God, you love everyone like that. And I want to be special. And I really felt like in that moment, he said, but you don't understand because I am so big that it takes every single one of you to touch me in a different way. And just like a husband and wife find a new communion and completeness in being together, with each person I touch and have that communion, that is a completeness of love that I have with no one else. That's beautiful. It is. 
it's is like so we, personal. It, because the humans want to say, if nobody, if we're all special, nobody's special. But that's a human way of looking at things. The godly, higher way of viewing it is that if everyone's special, everyone's special. You can't have everyone be special and no one be special. That makes absolutely no sense. Right? If everyone's special, everyone's special. So in some way, each of us are God's favorite. <laughs> I, know, I know where you're going. <laughs> you're God's favorite, Paula. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a worship song that says that, here I am, your favorite one. I and can't sing that. Yeah, Jerry can't either. He hates that song because he says favorite means favorite. And I'm like, no, each of us is God's favorite. He I, says, that's not what the word means. I can't wrap my round around that I one can either. Go, I can go to special, but favorite just means a little different to me. Me so too. I, I, I just, it's, that's, that's a superlative. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I know I can't sing it either. I'm in the Jerry camp on this one. Oh. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience. That is, it opens up another window of understanding of God. And it, and I thank you for that. Thank you for being a friend in my life that I can speak freely of the things of God with. That's a beautiful thing. It is. Anything comes to mind that you want to share before we close? Well, because I'm an author and my friend has a book releasing next week, I think we ought to just let her tell us about her book that's okay. coming out next week. Okay. <laughs> well, it is a book. It's called Saint Is, and the narrative point is uh, the donkey that carried Mary and Joseph led to Bethlehem. But it's Mary's donkey from her childhood. And so her name's Izzy, and she's very ancient, this donkey. It's, it's a fairy tale in a way. She brings the everyman perspective to the Christmas story in her own way because she's been with humanity for so long. It's a fresh telling of the Christmas story. Mary is a very strong-willed. She's got two older brothers that drive her nuts. So there's, you know, pretty illustrations with it. What it is, really, it's a great family read-aloud for the Advent and Christmas season. Probably you can read it in about three hours, so it would be a thing you could read through the season. And uh, the kids wouldn't really love the donkey. And it's two levels. There is the adult level, and there are considerations for adults and a deepening of the story in areas where the Bible, you know, it it gives a higher view of, of things. It doesn't tell the detailed in and outs of situations. So they're really is a little something for all ages in Saint Is. And it's going to be followed up by the story of Jesus's life up to his ministry years. And then there's going to be a third one, which will be his ministry years leading to his resurrection. You know, I had opportunity to see an advanced copy of that. Actually, too. I saw the black and white version. I saw the color version. You know, I'm honestly pretty thrifty, but this is one of the times I would buy the color version. I mean, the black and white is gorgeous because your artwork in this book is gorgeous. But the color in the color edition is breathtaking. So if you're looking for something to share with your family for the Advent season and the grandchildren and for years to come, I would spend that little extra and get these absolutely gorgeous full color illustrations. I also love the shape of the color book. It just, just really is a beautiful, beautifully done book. 
Thank Beautifully you. Beautifully done. We had a really good time working on it. And I wrote it with Len Sweet or Leonard Sweet, who's another Christian author. He's a theologian and a church historian. So he gave me really good insights and things as we wrote it together. So The other thing that I loved is you have these little pithy sayings that the donkey says at the beginning of each section. And they made me laugh. I mean, I just loved the humor that's infused into this very beautiful story. Oh, she's sassy. <laughs> she's a sassy sidekick for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the best way to, to get a hold of it? Uh, Amazon. We're doing it uh, through Amazon. Uh, just look up Saint Is and Lisa Sampson, S-A-M-S-O-N. That's who I am. Or Leonard Sweet. And you can find it under our author. We have three versions. There is the trade paper, black and white. And that retails for twelve fifty, I think it is, because we wanted to have a version that was affordable. And then we have the Kindle version. We have the full color edition, which that one's twenty four fifty. But it really is. It does make a difference in that. And then an audio version will be coming out shortly. And who narrated that audio version? Oh, just little old me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's crazy to me, and Lisa put out a book of poetry, and actually that book she asked my little indie publishing house to help her with. So I just want to plug that as well. My Heart Belongs to You by Lisa Sampson. It's just this lovely poetry book, and inside of it, We purposely, when we decided to publish it, my wonderful interior designer, Carmen Barber and Lisa and I talked about it. We wanted to leave space for people to doodle and respond. So I have this book of poetry. I have actually two. One that I kept perfect and pristine and the other one that I wrote my responses and drew pictures all over, colored. And it's this time with COVID. My job is now working remotely again. There's so much isolation and of course the politics and the fires and everything else we've dealt with. This has been a very comforting book. So I just want to bring that up to My Heart Belongs to You by Lisa Joy Sampson. I love your middle name. (laughs) I thought of it as you were talking because I actually narrated this one. That's right. So I got to do the audiobook and so it comes also audio Kindle or book and it's beautiful. Her artwork is beautiful again in this book. Ladies, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and your presence and your relationship with me. And I know you have that with each other. So thank you so much. What a great time. Thank you. Absolutely. And we want to thank our audience for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process grace together, please know that your thoughts and questions are welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.